0: Well, good morning, everyone. Let me open us with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this class. I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the faithful preaching of Pastor Steve, who reminds us of the truths of your word week in and week out. Thank you for the brothers and sisters who are so diligent in prayer to lift one another up and to bear one another's burdens and to bring them before you. And I thank you, Lord, for... Everything that we've already heard today, and I pray that you will open our ears to hear what is going to be shared in Faith Builders, Lord. Give me the right words to say as I try and articulate things, and then as we get back into Second Peter, I pray that you would give me clarity in how I teach, help the Holy Spirit guide me so that I will not teach anything that's not true, and I pray that you give us ears to hear so that we will be prepared for the world in which we live. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 2nd Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to bring us up to speed. I'm going to do a little bit of review because we've been almost a month since we last were together on this text. But we're in a part of 2nd Peter where he's talking about false teachers. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, he specifically is starting to warn the church about these false teachers, and he did that at the beginning of the verses in very great detail, although very brief, great detail. But now, as we get farther into the chapter, he's elaborating even more. Now, we had some encouragement in the midst of this because he laid out what's going to face these false teachers. These false, and I'm having to summarize very quickly, but the false teachers aren't getting away with anything. They're going to be in the church. They're going to be sexually immoral. They're going to be doing things for their own benefit. They're going to be making money themselves. They're going to be living a lie. But Peter spent time to make clear they're not getting away with it. He's telling us to be on the alert, and then there was a little side road where he said, look, look at history. God judged the angels who sinned in a certain way around the time of Noah. God sent a worldwide flood to punish evil in the time of Noah. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So God knows how to punish evil. That's what's going to be facing these false teachers. But also God knows how to rescue the godly. He rescued Noah and his family. He rescued Lot, who he called righteous Lot. So the point is, Peter is diving in and he's saying, these false teachers are bad, you've got to look out for them, be careful. But he also says, don't despair, God will take care of you, you're his child, he'll take care of you, and he'll judge them. But then, beginning in the middle of verse 10, he he goes into a lengthy, even more detailed description of these false teachers. That'll take us to the end of the chapter. And the section that I started covering almost a month ago now, before the holidays, is in 10b, the second part of verse 10, through verse 16. And I divided that down into a five-part outline. So I'm going to reread that just to get our minds on what the text actually says. And then I'll remind you the outline. I'll summarize where we've been. And then I'll pick up in the middle of a point because I stopped in the middle of the point the last time I taught. So, I read from the New American Standard, the middle of verse 10. Daring, self-willed, They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong they countered a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. So again, Peter is talking about the judged people, the judged false teachers, the ones who have judgment coming upon them, the ones who aren't going to get away with anything, but the ones who, until God judges them, are having a field day in the church. So as we keep going forward, I have my outline of five traits of false teachers. Five traits of false teachers. And the first was arrogant self-promotion. And that's really daring self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. And you can go back and listen to the extensive teaching on this. But basically, he's referring to people that are shameless. Daring, I mean, we like a daring person, but in this context, it's not necessarily complimentary. It's somebody who doesn't have any shame. They're not afraid of anything. They don't care. And they're self-willed, meaning everything about their lives serves themselves. That's all they care about. Me, 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 me. These teachers are presumptuous and conceited. And the picture he's laying out here is this. And we'll cross-reference in Jude, but basically this. These false teachers are making pronouncements about demonic angels. They're holding themselves out as experts on demons and demonic forces. And they're saying all types of things against them. And they're acting as though they're experts. They're talking about these angels because it gives them the sense of, I've got more power and I've got more authority. When I was teaching, I mentioned the fact that I wouldn't encourage you to ever do it, but there are people with those kind of ministries. They're always talking about this demon and that demon and what they did. And the reality is, all they're talking about is, me, 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 look how powerful I am. Send me money. Because if you send me money, I'll be even more powerful But he's reminding them that, look, even holy angels don't do what these false teachers are doing. And he used an example from Jude. Jude only has one chapter, so there's no chapters, it's verses. But Jude 8 and 9, I think, addresses the same issue. He says, yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. I think that's the exact same issue. And then Jude adds, but Michael the archangel, meaning one of the most powerful angels, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, now, that's not detailed in Deuteronomy when Moses died, but we believe it's true because it's recorded here in Scripture. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Peter's point is this, look. Even angels wouldn't do what these guys are doing. And yet they're so arrogant, they're not even afraid, and they should be. The angels, the holy, powerful angels, don't even do this foolishness. And he's basically saying, these men are so arrogant, they'll say anything to promote themselves. So, arrogant self-promotion is one. Second is ignorant declarations. Ignorant declarations. And it's all of these overlap, but it's dealing with the exact same topic. They're waxing eloquent about demonic activity, and they don't know what they're talking about. Verse 12. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Now the ultimate point is that they're going to be judged. But he's saying they don't even have any idea what they're talking about, but it doesn't keep them quiet. They just keep talking. These false teachers are ignorant, and yet they sound like they know what they're saying. But he's saying the reality is they're just like animals. And the picture he gives animals is animals that you can trap and kill. Just hunting. Animals have instinct. They don't think. They don't think things through. They just go to the smell. Boom. You got them. You killed them. He's saying that's how simplistic these men are. And the reality is, what's happened is that they have deluded minds. God gave them over to a depraved mind. They don't think anymore. They're just doing for themselves. So lie about the truth? Absolutely. Teach falsehood? Absolutely. It doesn't matter. And I shared this last time, but I've I've heard some of these people teach, and I wouldn't encourage you to waste your time. But I I say, how could they even say that? How could they say that, and yet thousands of people are sending them money to listen to it, even though they're just ignorant declarations? So false teachers, arrogant self-promotion, ignorant declarations, and third, and this is the point that we were in the middle of last time, and I'll finish today, flamboyant immorality flamboyant immorality. In other words, in-your-face immorality. Not something hidden, but something right in front of you and they act as like it's okay. Verse 13b into the beginning of 14. They countered a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls." Now again, he's already made clear in verse 2 of chapter 2 that immorality is a hallmark of false teachers. He said many will follow their sensuality and as we talked at that time, in other words, the false teachers live immoral lives and the people in the church that follow them, some of them follow them into immorality because the guy in charge says it's okay, it's not even immoral. And people follow along. But here, he's picking back up that theme, and he's actually expanding it a little bit. He says, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. And this has to do with their shamelessness. And I highlighted a couple of scriptures last time that I won't go through again. But basically, even unbelievers are smart enough to do certain things in secret. The time Peter was writing, in the Roman culture, you didn't do certain things publicly. Even amongst the pagan Romans, it's like, well, that's that's crossing a boundary. But for these false teachers, boundaries mean nothing. It says they revel in the daytime. In other words, even even unbelievers think, well, we got to go in the dark. Not these people. They're so out in front. That's the flamboyant aspect of it. They don't care. They have no shame. They revel in the daytime. They party in the daytime. That's that unthinking, animalistic mindset of just, I'm going to do it whenever, wherever. And it's all about me. And as we finish this point, we're going to see that it's not just that they revel in the daytime, they engage in immorality in the daytime, they do it at church functions, which makes it even more perverse the middle of 13, they are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Now this took some looking for me because that word carouse means something to me. It's like they're carousing with you and I think it's exactly accurate but the point and the word that was translated carouse actually conveys something a little bit more focused and that's why I say it's a church activity so, so bear with me. 1st there they're stains and blemishes. Believers are supposed to be spotless. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Peter himself, at the end of, in chapter 3, is going to say, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. That's what believers are supposed to be. That's what the Lord wants for his people. That's what Jesus is trying to do with his bride, Ephesians five twenty seven, That he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And you can understand that because Jesus is described as the spotless lamb himself. Peter said this, 1 Peter 1.19, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. So when he says these false teachers are stains and blemishes, it's not a pretty picture, rather than being holy and blameless, they're the exact opposite. If you go back to the Old Testament, a lamb that was going to be sacrificed to God had to be spotless. It had to be without defect. These are festering sore people, these false teachers. They're far from it. Their stains and blemishes, they revel in their deceptions. In other words, they love their lives. They love their lifestyle. They're having a ball... As they carouse with you. And again, this is the word that threw me at first, but if you look at some of the other versions, you see what it means. So, for example, the ESV, the ESV, I believe, says feast. They feast with you. The idea here is the love feast. We've heard of an agape feast. There were these gatherings of the early church where the believers came together to break bread, to fellowship. In fact, the Lord's table was often celebrated in the midst of this because when you read in First Corinthians chapter eleven, the Apostle Paul rebuking the Corinthian church, he's referring to one of these types of feasts. First Corinthians eleven twenty and twenty-one. Therefore, when you meet together as you eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. This is a meal. And one is hungry and another is drunk. They're drinking their party and Paul's rebuking them. But that's the context of Peter's words of what these false teachers are doing. They're going into these sacred moments in church functions that should be an agape feast, a time of fellowship. But for them, it's a party time. They're lying and cheating and they're using these words Holy opportunities when the church should be gathered together for fellowship and fun and they're just looking for their next sexual conquest. They're looking for someone to commit indecent acts with. So he says, as they carouse with you... Or as they feast with you, as they're there participating with you, they're reveling, in verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. In other words, as these false teachers are with the saints, every woman they look at is a potential sexual conquest. Eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. All they're thinking about are their own appetites. No doubt they're drinking to excess. No doubt they're eating to excess. But also these are immoral people. This is a flamboyant immorality. Imagine showing off your immorality and looking for hookups in church. Jesus, of course, said, Matthew 5.28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. King David committed adultery, literally. This, This is one of the fallen aspects of humanity. But these false teachers are proud of what they're doing. They're looking for the conquest and they are reveling in it And they're looking for unstable souls to entice. In other words, they're looking for the weak ones, the vulnerable ones, the ones that can be taken advantage of, the ones that would be susceptible to their advances. They're looking to entice unstable souls into being objects of their sexual gratification. And what makes this, again, why I call it flamboyant, what makes this immorality so horrific, this perversion so bad, is they're not sneaking away to a bar in the middle of the night to hook up with somebody. They're using sacred church functions for this purpose. This is horrific. Jude, again, addressing many of the same issues as second Peter said, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Paul warned Timothy about these types of false teachers that would be pursuing sexual gratification, he says for 2 Timothy three, six, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. So, in other words, there are some people that aren't stable in their faith yet. They aren't mature in their faith yet. Perhaps they're not even in the faith yet. But they're apart, and these predators can spot their prey, and they're doing it, of all places, at church. Here's what's so horrific is this is going on every day today, 2,000 years later. Things haven't changed. In my legal practice, one of the areas that I dealt with was sexual harassment. I was an employment lawyer. I represented management. I investigated countless cases. That's part of what I did for a long time. So I was always following the law. I was always following the news. And I still have that habit. Those things catch my eye. Now, though, I'm looking in a different area. I'm looking at churches. And this happens every week. It's happening in churches. and What's going on quite often is that someone in a church will engage in this type of immorality and then they go to another church because nobody wants to embarrass anybody and keep it quiet. And you'll see somebody that's moved from church to church who's able to continue to keep abusing. Certainly it happened in the Catholic church with their priests that they moved around. But it's not just the Catholics that have this problem. Again, this isn't something occurring just out there. It's occurring out in the open. Certainly it occurs in cults. And people get so deluded that they listen to these false teachers. There's a video, I don't know if it's on Netflix or wherever, about uh, Waco, David Koresh. And it breaks your heart to see the number of people deceived by him, such that he was taking everybody's wives. They were all his. I was reading an article about someone that was one of the wives of, I can't remember the guy's name, it's like Jared Jeffs, Warren Jeffs, the cult from the the twisted aspect of Mormon where they have multiple wives and they're marrying twelve year olds and thirteen year olds and they're calling it from God. It's happening in America now. Read an article about a Nigerian pastor, this woman from England, that was he was doing miracles on the news and so these people were flocking to Nigeria, mostly Western people, and he had a compound where he kept people for his sexual escapades. And the number of abuse, it was published by the BBC, the number of people that were abused in the name of God was stunning. He died, I guess, in 2021, and the numbers keep growing in the number of people that he sexually abused. My point in all this is I think we'll see more of this. These false teachers are getting bold, and if you see anything like that, you've got to run. You got to run. Stay away. Again, is it possible that a genuine, not false teacher engages in sin? Of course. Look at King David. From the time I first understood what that story meant, I've never even trusted myself. Because if a man after God's own heart could do those things, how how arrogant it would be for me to say I could never do those things? So yes, can a can a genuine teacher do these things? Yes. But what you see with the false teachers, it's not repentance, it's repetition. It's not sorrow, it's justification. Because they're lying about everything and they're reveling in their deceptions. Part of the reason why I think this is going to be more pronounced is because sexual perversion that even 10 years ago nobody would talk about, now people are advertising. And unfortunately, quite often what happens is culture influences the church, not vice versa, such that even the Pope, and that's a whole nother story, but even the Pope said, yeah, we'll have same-sex blessings. And that's why false teachers of evangelical churches, that whole message, and I talked about Andy Stanley, where they welcome homosexual behavior, It'll also come to the point in time where people are saying, look, I'm not sinning by doing this. Come join me. It's going to happen. It was happening. It will happen. We need to be on the alert and make sure that we're not a part of anything like that. So, that's as far as we'll get today. We've got two more points in this section. Two more descriptions. One is trained greediness. One is deliberate disobedience. But Lord willing, I hope to cover both of those next week. And then, sorry that I keep doing this, and I was feeling guilty about telling you this, and then I listened to Pastor Steve's message, and I don't feel guilty anymore. Um, Debbie and I are going to be going away on a trip in two weeks. We're going to take a cruise that leaves on Sunday, January 28th, and gets back on Sunday, February 4th. So on those two days, you won't see me here. And again, I felt really bad. And then I listened to Steve, and it's like, you know what? I should do this more. So, um... (laughs) And then on February 11th, I'm going to be preaching in the morning services. Pastor Steve's going to be out. So anyway, I will try and finish this section next week and then we'll finish chapter two after that. So with that, let me close our time in prayer and I will see you um, next week. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for a church like Lakeside. I thank you for the elder board that we have and the accountability we have to one another. And Lord, I thank you that the churches that Debbie and I have been a part of by and large have have had a good mechanism to make sure that false teachers like Peter was describing haven't proliferated. But Lord, we live in a wicked culture that's getting more wicked. Lord, things that used to be considered shameful are now applauded. And it's likely the case that churches will promote these things, particularly false teachers who were enjoying satisfying their desires through the people of the church. Lord, protect us from such false teachers. Lord, help us be discerning when we see something like this. Help us to steer our friends and family away from teachers like that. And Lord, I pray that you protect us at Lakeside. Lord, I pray that you would keep false teachers from being in the midst of us. I'm mindful that Paul told the Ephesian elders that savage wolves will arise among you. Lord, I pray, thank you that that hasn't happened at Lakeside. I pray it never will. Give us discernment and wisdom to to only approve as elders the right type of men. And Lord, for each one of us, I pray as we enter into this year that you'll help us to stay focused. Lord, there's so many distractions. Spiritual warfare has always been present. It seems to be more overt than it's ever been. I pray for us. I pray for every person In this church, every person in this class, I pray for all of our leadership. Lord, help us keep our eyes on you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is what we need in these tumultuous times. Pray that you'll help us do it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.